Look, what I'm about to tell you might be a little difficult to take. Okay. You know how people say Hawkins is cursed? They're not way off. There's another world. A world hidden beneath Hawkins. Sometimes it bleeds into ours. Like ghosts and shit? There are some things worse than ghosts. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Greetings, stranger friends, and welcome back to Stranger Danger. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. For the second episode in a row, 
I saw a new character get really featured and I thought, oh, cool. I wonder how their story will play out throughout this entire season. And for the second week in a row, the episode ends with them floating, snapping, breaking, and dying. No more Stranger Things, no more. I will no longer get attached to these new characters. Well, I say that now, but but who knows. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. I have to tell you also, for the second week in a row, I'm coming to you without any knowledge of what happens next. I've stayed spoiler-free, and I'm only through two episodes of Stranger Things 4. I, I don't... I don't want it to sound like I've, you know, achieved some major accomplishment. In fact, I'm jealous. Jealous of all of you who have already watched all seven episodes. And I tell you now, things are changing. And I say that because right now, right here, I'm telling you, on May 31st, 2022, this is the last Stranger Danger that I will be doing um, without previous knowledge of what comes next. I, I can't I can't do it anymore. I gotta watch these shows. And the amount of time it takes for me to prep and record, I think, okay, you know what? I'll do it again. And then by the time I'm done everything, I think, no, I can't do it a third time. I must watch these episodes. So when I get to episode three and I'm recording for it, there's a nearly 100% chance that I will be well past three, if not completely finished. But as of right now, I have no idea what happens in chapter three. It's insane. What's also insane is how many people have been listening to the uh, new episode, The Hellfire Club, so far. I'm blown away by the uh, response, and uh, I really appreciate it, and I owe it all to you, the Stranger Friends. So, I mean, really, what are we waiting for? Let's do this. Let's talk about Chapter 2, Vecna's Curse. There he is, Jim Hopper. We flash back to the moment where Jim knows he has no place to run and Joyce realizes she has no other option she has to turn the key and when she does we know the machine explodes but what we don't realize Hopper doesn't evaporate. Hopper doesn't explode. Hopper runs. He runs and he jumps and he tries to avoid the machine exploding. And guess what? He actually did it. There was no teleportation. No magic. He was there the entire time. If Joyce and Murray had more time they might have been able to find him, to save him. 
but they had to run as he lay there not too far away. And then as we peer over that hellscape with the now closed gate, we go down and we see Hopper's body. And then his eyes open. He breathes. He's alive. Hopper is alive. It was just that simple. All these years I'm thinking, well, how did he survive that? There had to be something where maybe when the machine explodes, you get brought through the gate? No. Then I thought, oh, he's running. The gate's not closed yet. He's going to dive through the gate. No, he just jumps away from the explosion and avoids it. That's all he needed to do to survive. And it makes it that much more heartbreaking when you realize that Murray and Joyce weren't that far away. He was unconscious. If he made a peep, maybe they would have been able to get to him. But as Hopper's eyes open, we go to our opening credits. When we return from the credits, we open up on Max, who awakes startled. There's a cool Endless Summer poster on her wall, which is an old documentary about surfing from the 60s. She immediately goes to the sink to get some water so she can down a couple Tylenol. So you see she's still having headaches. And the way she woke up, she's still having nightmares. She hears sirens. And outside she sees a bunch of cop cars racing to the the Munson trailer. Her mom wakes up and notices it too. The cops get out of their cars and, oh, there's Officer Callahan. Good to see him again. And there's Officer... Oh, wait a second. Powell is now the chief of Hawkins Police. I love it. Obviously, I hate that it's not Jim anymore, but I love that it was one of their own and it was the senior officer who... Uh, took over uh, for Jim, who obviously, as far as they know, perished in a mall fire. I wonder if either of these officers will ever find out the truth about everything going on. We see uh, Powell talking to Mr. Munson, who's Eddie's uncle. This man is visibly shaken. It's his trailer who Eddie lives with him. He's the one who called it in. He swears he has no idea who she is, doesn't even know her name. He's never even seen her before. Powell and Callahan go into the trailer and they are just shocked by what they find. Outside across the street, we see Max. Her interest is piqued. She's walked right across her yard to get as close to the Munsons as she could for a better look. She sees inside, she sees the twisted body in a cheerleader uniform. It was the same cheerleader she saw go into the trailer the night before. Has to be that Chrissy Cunningham. Another officer comes over. I call him the new guy because as far as I knew, the Hawkins police only had three officers. So maybe they hired this guy to take Powell's spot when Powell took Hopper's spot. Anyway, 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 uh, he confronts Max and tells her she can't be here. Get back inside. Back inside. She listens. She runs back into her house. 
we go inside the Munson trailer and the police are looking for evidence. Chief Powell uses the phone to call someone named Frank about the body. He doesn't really know how to describe it. As he is speaking, we see that the government, they're still listening. They're still recording. They're still watching. Listen. We caught a body over here at the Munson's trailer. I don't even know how to describe it. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, look, I need you down here ASAP to tell me what the hell I'm looking at or, or how someone could even do something like this. We cut over to sunny California as we see a plane touching down. And in the airport, we see Argyle and Jonathan, who don't look exactly like they want to be there. And then we see Will and Eleven, who both look really excited to be there. And out of the crowd coming off the airport, we see Mr. Michael Wheeler, who's looking like he researched how Californians are supposed to dress and did his best to try to pull it off. Mike, Mike! Elle runs right to him. They kiss. They hug. She kind of smushes some of his flowers that he handpicks, uh, handpicked for her. And he goes on and on on this awkward little explanation of why he chose which color to this color to that color. Uh... She doesn't care. She loves it. Then we get Will's greeting, and he kind of goes in for a hug, and Mike kind of doesn't quite go in for the hug, and he makes it a little awkward. You can kind of see it in Will's face, uh, and I feel like this definitely will come into play later. Mike says hello to Jonathan and um, asks what Will is holding. He's like, oh, it's just this painting I've been working on. Cool, 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 cool. So... Will just brings the painting places with him. And then I'm wondering, maybe he wanted to show Mike, but after that weird, awkward exchange, he changed his mind. There's this funny moment where Argyle meets Mike, uh, and he's like, he asks about his rad shirt, uh, thinks it's Ocean's Pacific, which was a cool thing that I remember wearing in the 80s. And he, you think he's going in to hug him, but he really wants to check the tag he discovers, oh, no, man, it's just a shitty knockoff. We'll get you the good stuff. Don't worry. And then he just looks at him and says, I've heard a lot about your sister, man, which is funny because Jonathan must just go on and on. They're like, this is awkward. So awkward. And they just walk off. And as they walk off, Eleven tells Mike about their entire day she has planned. I have our whole day planned. First, Alberto for burritos. What? Really? Burritos for breakfast? Yes, trust me. Yeah, no, I, I trust you. It's just, you know, it's a little weird. Then after burritos, I want to go to Rinkomania. Rinkomania? Okay, what's what's Rinkomania? It's the most fun place in Lenora. They have skating and games. Okay, that sounds awesome. Are your friends going to meet us there? Friends? What, what friends? You know, Stacy and Angela. Angela? You'll meet them. I promise. Just not today. I want today to be about me and you. You know, for someone who uses the Friends Don't Lie moniker a lot, um, Eleven's doing quite a bit of lying here. I think, I'm guessing, she just does not want Mike to worry about her. But Friends, Stacy and Angela, 
I've just met them, and even I know they're not your friends. Um, Will can see that she's lying, and he's like, wait, what? And he wasn't, maybe if he was prepared for it, but he was completely taken back, like, what the hell? And why is she making it sound like all these great things are happening for her in California? As they walk off, we see, like, just kind of happenstance. They cross paths. They don't even know it. There's Murray. He flew straight to California to see Joyce. He gets into this taxi and he's like, let's go. This is life or death. Snap, snap. Yells at the cab driver who's like, yes, sir. What I missed the first time is that the cab driver has a photo of Hulk Hogan in his rare blue trunks hanging in his cab. I don't know why that's important. It was very random. I just noticed it and I could not not mention it. We jump back to family video in Hawkins. Robin is talking to Steve about her interaction with Vicky and how she just can't help herself. She keeps talking and talking and talking. Uh, And she's like, I'm doing it right now, aren't I? She feels like she keeps digging a hole for herself. She says she's hopeless. Steve says he's hopeless too. And she wishes that they could combine their powers almost like wonder twins. You know, she knows what she wants. He goes on a million dates. It's just alone. They totally suck. Uh, but together, who knows? And I wonder if that will come into play. Like I, I thought for a moment, I wonder if she'll use Steve to ask out Vicky to see if she says yes. <laughs> but then I realized, wait, that suggests that, uh, that if she was straight, there was no way she could resist Steve Harrington which is silly in itself. But then I thought, well, maybe they would think that, even though it's how ridiculous it is. I mean, they're high school kids. Maybe they think, well, I mean, she wouldn't say no to me if she was straight. Like, it's completely ludicrous thinking. But I wonder if Steve suggests that at some point. Uh, While they're in the video store, Robin wants to pick a movie for them to watch. She wants to pick... Dr. Zhivago, it's filled with romance and action. I remember when I worked at a video store, I used to love picking the movies. I think I picked Ghostbusters a lot. And Goonies. Yes, Goonies, definitely. So she puts on the TV to fire up the movie, and instead of putting the movie in, she sees there's a news report. Julie Christie is bonkers hot in this. Like, seriously, the most beautiful creature I have ever seen in my life. Forest Hills Trailer Park in East Rowan County. We don't have a lot of details right now, but we can confirm that the body of a Hawkins High student was discovered early this morning. Police have not yet released the victim's name, although we are told they're currently in the process of notifying the family. We cut over to Benny's Burgers? We haven't seen that since season one. It's now an abandoned hangout for, it looks like, members of the Hawkins basketball team and some of their friends, I'm going to guess. It's a place where they party and drink and drink and drink and probably drink a little bit too much, as evident by one Lucas Sinclair who's puking his young brains out. Yuck. We see passed out kids. We see there's booze, this cereal, basically all the staples of a healthy diet. This place looks like it gets used a lot. 
there's there's still power. They have a TV plugged in. Some of the kids are watching the news about the murder as we see that guy Jason, the captain of the basketball team, he comes out. He's like, what's going on? They said, hey, uh, oh, a, a, a girl got murdered. It's like, what? Did they say who it was? No, but maybe Chrissy didn't stand you up after all. And someone's like, don't say that. That's terrible. But then all of a sudden, Jason notices that the police have arrived outside of Benny's. We jump over to Hawkins High where Nancy and the staff of the school newspaper are also watching this news report. One woman on the TV mentions Barb. Now, ever since her death, it's been one thing after another that Hawkins is cursed. The devil lives here in Hawkins. Nancy thinks about what happens to Barb. We get a few flashes. Obviously, they're not visions because she wasn't there. But um, that kid who works with the paper kind of snaps her out of it. And he mentions how he doesn't think anyone's going to care about the basketball game anymore. Nancy agrees and asks if he's up for going on a field trip. Bad idea, buddy. Seriously, the Hawkins Tiger must be the best school newspaper in the country with Nancy Wheeler running things. So they both head out of the school together. We cut over and we see the body being loaded onto an ambulance. It was that overhead shot that we saw in the original trailer. As this is happening, the voiceover of the reporter is asking, Is Chief Powell in over his head, or is he the very savior this town needs? We cut over to Dustin's house, and it seems like everybody's watching this news report. Him and his mom are there. Cute cat, Mrs. Henderson. And uh, his mom mentions how her heart just can't take it anymore. It just can't take it anymore. The doorbell rings, and Dustin gets up to open the door, and hey, it's Max. Chrissy Cunningham? You're sure it was Chrissy? Yes, she was in her cheerleader outfit. It was the same thing she was in when I saw her with Eddie. Did you tell all this to the cops? No, no, but I, I can't be the only one who saw them together. I mean, they stood out. Eddie the freak with Chrissy the cheerleader? Exactly. His name's not in the news yet or anything, but I guarantee you Eddie is suspect number one right now. That's crazy. Eddie didn't do this. No way. No way. Well, we can't rule it out. Yes, we can. Dustin! You don't know him like I do, Max. Okay? When we got to high school, Lucas made all his sports friends, Mike and me. I mean, no one was nice to us. No one except Eddie. Okay, well, I mean, they said the same shit about Ted Bundy. Yeah, he's like a a super nice guy, but then he's murdering women on the weekend. You're saying Eddie is like Ted Bundy. No, I'm not saying, I'm saying that we can't presume anything, okay? But it doesn't look good for Eddie. Why haven't you told the cops this? I I don't know. You don't know? After I saw Eddie and Chrissy go in the trailer, something else happened. Max goes on to tell Dustin what else she noticed that night, why she didn't tell the police. We flash back to the night before in her trailer. She's watching TV. Hey, there's young Courtney Cox. The TV starts flickering. And then all the lights start flickering. 
She goes up, bangs the TV. The lights start going crazy. She hears a scream. She looks out the window. She sees Eddie run out of his place, jump in his van, and drive off like a bat out of hell. He looks scared, really scared. And she said, maybe it's because he just killed someone. Or maybe something else killed her. But that's impossible, right? And they're like, I don't know. But there's only one person for sure who knows what happened. Eddie. They both quickly leave the house. Mike was saying he couldn't reach Lucas or Nancy or Mike. And Dustin's like, damn it. Shit, California. Uh, His mom's like, it's not safe. He's like, we'll be careful. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Which is real funny. He just kind of quick talk and get the hell out of there. We cut over to Murray arriving at Joyce's house. And the next thing we see is the full note as Murray reads it. Pop is alive. He looks forward to date. Please, to make reservation, call 74152-blah-blah. Open 12-day P-E-T-T. No government, please. Kind regards, Enzo. I like it even less in person. What do you mean, like it less? I don't trust it. For starters, who the hell sent this? A friend. uh, A friend? Of Hop's? Hop is alive, no government? This looks and reads like a ransom note and a bad one at that. There's no proof of life here. Yes, there is. It's signed Enzo. So? So there's only two people who knew about our date at Enzo's, and that's me and Hop. So whoever wrote this, Hop trusted enough to make him sign it Enzo. He's sending me a message. You saw him die, Joyce. I didn't see a body. Because he evaporated. Or he survived. Okay. Okay. You know, Joyce Byers does not give up on people. That you can say for sure. I mean, think about it. Her son was supposed to be missing. Then he was supposed to be dead. And she never once gave up hope. She never once believed that that body was his. Hopper, now she's been given one little glimmer of hope. And she's using that glimmer and and taking that little sliver and, and bashing it wide open. And she now fully believes and fully is on board that Hop has to be alive. And Murray's like, oh, okay, oh, okay. And he's kind of, I don't know if he's indulging her, but he's like saying, he goes into this whole thing that let's say it's even close to being possible. Um, it could be a giant elaborate ruse to capture Joyce too. But Joyce thinks it could be real. You know, he could be alive. He says, he says, I guess there's only one way to find out. We're going to call that number and we're going to find out who sent you that letter. But we're doing it my way. As he flips open 
that suitcase that he was having much trouble carrying in earlier in the day. We flash back to Hopper again. Uh, He's still, this is under the mall after the explosion. He's attempting to escape. And, uh, well, instead he's met by soldiers who immediately knock him out. He's now in Russia getting interrogated. So I guess some of the Ruskies back in the mall under Starcourt were captured, but it looks like definitely some of them made their escape with Hopper. Who do you work for? That's a terrible Russian accent. I can't believe Let's try that again. Who do you work for? Yeah, a little better. Who is the woman? And it's a picture of Joyce. He's like, why don't you tell me she's wearing a Russian uniform? Get the elephant. I know he says that in Russian. But uh, they get this gas mask. And we saw some of this in the trailer, too. This thing has a a long tube uh, that comes out where the mouth would be. It kind of reminded me of Edison the Elephant from the Great Space Coaster. That was an old kid show that I used to watch. Uh, and there was an elephant character who had this long trunk that was obviously like tubing. And I think the guy had like a colander at the end that he used to move the trunk around. And I don't know what that has to do with anything except um, that's what it reminded me of. Here, the the trunk, quote unquote, of the elephant is used to cut off the air supply. And I'm not talking about the, the fantastic band. I'm talking about the actual air that the person wearing the mask would be getting. Or in this case, not getting. And unfortunately, the person right now wearing that mask is Mr. Jim Hopper. He actually, we see him start to convulse. <clears throat> and he's having real trouble as he's being suffocated. It's actually kind of hard to watch. But I don't know if it's the hardest thing to watch this episode. It's time to jump over to the Ringorama. So Jonathan and Argyle drop Will, Mike, and Eleven off. And Jonathan's like, Will, we'll be back at six. Have fun, okay? And Will's like, yeah, uh, all right. You can tell he doesn't really quite mean it. Inside the rink, it just, it feels like my childhood. The, The fashion, the roller skating, the arcade, the junk food. It just... Brings up visions of junior high. Eleven's right about this place. The roller rink is bitchin'. All right, hold on one second. You spin me right round, baby, right round like a record, baby, round, 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 round. Okay, sorry, now back to the show. I couldn't resist that part. So Mike's like, yeah, this place is great. You come here a lot? She says yes. Will says no at the exact same time. And I do like, she goes, Will does not, but I come here for parties. I love that she is doing like a lot better as far as fitting into society and being used to like, you know, around other people and kids. But she still has that kind of stiff way of talking sometimes. Will does not, but I come here for parties. Just repeating that. I thought that was like such a a really finely tuned way of acting the way that Millie Bobby Brown does it there. Um, 
And then she realizes, oh, oh, Mike, you need socks, and tells him to go off and buy some at the counter. And that's when Will finally confronts her about things. Oh, wait a second. Okay, sorry, this song is just so distracting how fun it is. You try. See, you just can't resist it. So anyway, Will finally uh, confronts Eleven about what uh, what exactly is she doing? How'd you forget about the songs? I mean, since you come here all the time. I, I don't know, I just forgot. Right. Why do you keep lying? What? Why do you keep lying to Mike? I'm not lying. You're not. You're friends with Angela and Stacy, and you come to parties here? I have been to a party. For here. mom's work, that's not what you imply. I just. I don't think Mike's going to like that you're lying to him. And he doesn't deserve that. And when he finds out, he's going to be mad. Another great little acting moment by Millie Bobby Brown when Mike comes back and he makes this joke. I asked for vomit green. I got vomit green for the socks. Um, She has this look on her face like she's nervous. She's upset. And she just kind of breathes in and smiles like, nope. I'm deciding I'm going to be happy. Mike's here. I'm going to be happy. Everything will be just fine. And they get out on the on the uh, rink, and they do seem to be fine. They're holding hands, and they're all smiles. But Will's just skating alone, and he's not really looking all that happy to be there. We actually stay with him for a moment for like an extended kind of shot of him just looking like isolated. He's around all these people, and yet he's still alone. It's at this point, oh boy, the jerk face crew arrives, Stacy, Angela, and the two turds, I don't know their name, and I don't want to know their name. They see Mike and Eleven out on the rink. One of them's like, who's that twig with her? Seems like the snitch has a boyfriend. Oh my God, I hate their faces. Oh, I hate their faces. Oh, so very much. Back over at Benny's Burgers, they're all hanging outside and one guy's telling Lucas, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. Uh, But the police are inside. They're talking to Jason about where he was last night. Paul mentions there seems to be a whole lot of beer here. So you're going to arrest me for drinking? It's like it is against the law. So we could. And Callahan's like, I vote for trespassing. Benny's family wouldn't like it here. And Jason's like, people have been coming here using this place for years. You act like you didn't know. Then they ask about Chrissy. He's like, what does this have to do with Chris? This doesn't have to do with that dead student, does it? The police don't say right away. They just ask him about what he spoke with her about the previous night. Did she mention anything about buying drugs for the party? No way, no, no way. She's as straight as an arrow. Then Powell brings up Eddie Munson, asks if they've ever seen the two of them talking. He's like, that freak? No. He's like, what He's like, what does Eddie have to do with all this? Did that freak hurt her? He keeps getting louder. Did he hurt Chrissy? Did he hurt Chrissy? We don't actually see the answer. Instead, we see him storm out of Benny's, ignoring all the other players. They're asking him, you know, what's up? As he marches off all the way into the woods starts crying, and then just starts screaming bloody murder. 
We jump back over to family video. Dustin and Max show up. Steve's like, did you guys see this? Someone was murdered. And Dustin's like, how many phones do you have? How many phones do you have? He just, he doesn't care. He just wants to get his point across. And they're like, counting the one in the back, three? Max says, that that should do. And he immediately throws his bag over the counter and jumps over. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? The confidence and cockiness this kid has. I wish I had half of that when I was his age. Hell, I wish I had that at my age right now. Dustin says they're here to set up a base of operations. They're there to look for Eddie's friends. Steve says, oh, you're, your new best friend you think is cooler because he plays your nerdy game? Dustin's like, I never said that. But Steve does care, and Steve is jealous. See that? Huh? <laughs> Robin's like, you know, maybe on a Monday you can play around in here, but this is a Saturday, our busiest day of the year. And Dustin's adamant this cannot wait until Monday. And she's like, what is this, some kind of emergency? And he says, yes. He turns to Max and he says, can, can you just fill them in? And then we get an, a shot of Max. And just as she's about to explain things, you ever notice that on TV, they stare at the person who's about to explain things for a few seconds and they cut away because we don't need to hear them explain it again. We've already heard it. Uh, so they did that there where Max is looking and they cut away and they cut away to Nancy and her school newspaper colleague driving in the car together. And he's asking, like, so what's our game plan? How are we going to do things like the way you and Jonathan used to uh, investigate? And she's like, you're not Jonathan. He says, clearly not. I'm actually here. She's like, whoa, you know, I've been through a lot of managing editors. Okay. He's like, whoa, 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 testy, testy, interesting. And Nancy says, you know, she admits that something is going on with Jonathan, but she just tells this kid, listen, when we get there, your job is to take notes and follow my lead. Okay, you got that? He gives a little salute, like, yep. Then they get right to the trailer park, and they see some police cars right there. Immediately, this kid looks really nervous. And Nancy says, just act casual. Hi, officer. Can't go through here. We got a crime scene. Yeah, um, I I was just going to, um, see Max Mayfield, a friend. She lives in there. We're restricting access to residents only. It's just, um, her mom is working today, and we would really like to check in on her. We're basically her nanny. Uh, nannies. Don't I know you? I don't think so. Yeah. Actually, I do know you. You're Fred Benson. You killed that kid last year. What? That ugly scar on your face. From the crash. It, it was an accident. An accident? That why you ran all the way home instead of calling us. You're a murderer, is what you are. Everyone here knows it. A murderer. Murderer. A murderer. 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 Alright there? What? said you're right, kid. You're looking a little peaked. Fine. I'm fine. He's just um, on edge. I mean, we all are. I'll let you check on your friend, but just be fast. Yeah? Of course. Officer, thank you. 
Okay, what was that? I said act casual. Yeah, it's just... Sorry. Okay, let's uh, let's take a moment to uh, talk about that just a little bit more. Uh, so, number one, uh, we do see that the police officer's name is Officer Daniels. So now we have a name, Officer Daniels. I saw his name tag this time. Uh, number two, I do like that Nancy's using her just her her wit, her her ability to um, know the area to be able to kind of manipulate this police officer into letting her do what she wants. But that is not the, uh, the, the thing I want to touch upon here. What I want to touch upon is, uh, is Fred. We have a name now, and, or at least for me, it's, it's the first time I remember hearing the name. We have Fred, who um, the officer says, don't I know you? He's like, I don't think so. And then we get this, what we know after or shortly after we realize that this is all in Fred's head. This is kind of a little fantasy uh, nightmare that he is envisioning. That This police officer is saying, um, you know, you're that kid who, you know, you killed someone in a car crash. That's why you got that scar on your face from that crash. He's like, it was an accident. And is that why you ran home instead of calling us? You're murderer, murderer. And the face turns into this zombie type creature that I don't know is exactly the creature that we've been seeing uh, that we saw kill Chrissy or not, but it's pretty close uh, representation with all these gross things on its face. I don't know. Is it vines? Is it, is it veins? Is it viney veins? But uh, the thing is, you know, it's making its presence known to Fred and it's making him envision these things and it's at this moment that I'm starting to think that this creature that we're going to have a name for they haven't officially kind of given it coined the phrase yet but um, this creature seems to be feeding on fear feeding on a secret perhaps feeding on something that it, or guilt that's what it seems like there this this creature is because remember with the uh, with Chrissy it was this I don't know if it was the the fear of of not fitting your cheerleading outfit the fear of gaining weight the we saw her vomiting we saw the, just lots of um, lots of evidence of that the fear of her the way her mother acts maybe it's also guilt of the the way she goes about things her vomiting up her food in the bathroom and again i don't know if that was from her vomiting up her food or if it was from specifically being in fear of what she's been seeing so that i i might be assuming something there but with fred here we see a guy who see it seems like he was in a car accident that that some people might not think as an accident or he thinks some people might not see as an accident. And, uh, that seems to be haunting him. Uh, he, at one point, uh, finally Daniels is like, Hey, Hey, he's like, what? He goes, I, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. You looked a little peaked. And, uh, he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. And as they drive away, Nancy's like, I wanted you to just kind of be cool. But what, what was that all about? And he just, he just apologizes. 
We jump over to the smashing of a car window, and we are with Jonathan and Argyle. It seems like they found a spot where they can hit golf balls into a junkyard. Uh, there's something with junkyards in the Stranger Things crew, huh? So Jonathan's talking about um, how part of him wishes that Nancy was on that plane, that she would show up to visit him. But there was another part of him that was relieved that she wasn't there. And then he, he's like, well, i got to show you something. He shows Argyle an acceptance letter to a local community college. And Argyle's like, yeah, but I thought you were going to that you know, fancy college with Nancy. He's like, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I just don't know how to tell her this. So he explains that he's not going. He can't leave his mother. He can't leave Will to chase some dream that isn't even his. And if he tells her the truth, she's going to come there and throw away her dream. And he just can't take it. He thinks he's, you know, he thinks that she would come there. Then later she'd resent him. And it would just leave this, um, this cycle of hating each other, this cycle that, like, just like his parents, that he, can, that he can't get out of. And he's just really stressed out about that. He, so he doesn't want to leave his, his mom and his brother. But at the same time, he doesn't want her to throw away her dreams that he's afraid she will. So he's really like kind of just freaked out about that. And our guy was like, so what are you going to just slow motion break up with Nancy? He's, I, I guess, I guess. He doesn't know what to do. And Argyle's solution is for them to get high. We jump back to the roller skating rink and Mike 11 and Will are sitting down and enjoying milkshakes when the worst possible thing happens. Yeah, I'm better. No, it isn't. Milkshakes? Yeah. Where, oh where, have you been hiding this handsome thing? Uh, Angela, th th this is Mike, my boyfriend. Angela, pleasure. Heard a lot about you. It's really cool to finally meet some of El Jane's friends. Friends? <laughs> yeah, super cool. Come on, friend. Let's skate, shall we? I, I wanted to finish this with Oh, hold on to that. Come on. So, yeah, like I said, the worst possible thing happens. They're enjoying themselves. I mean, Will doesn't look like he's thrilled to be there, but all of a sudden, those bullies just show up and without even thinking, take Eleven out on the skating rink. Will sees one of the kids with the video cameras and he knows something bad's gonna happen. Oh no. What? Well, she hasn't been telling you everything. What are you talking about? She's lying to you, Mike. Bullshit! No, listen to me. She's having problems here. Problems? Okay, well... What kind of problems? Terrible Angela skates her right out into the middle of the rink and leaves her there. All right, everyone. This next song is dedicated to Jane, the local snitch. All of a sudden, the spotlight is on 11 and Wipeout starts playing. So I'm wondering now if that woman on the news was talking about Hawkins being cursed. She meant it was haunted by a bunch of teenage assholes. So all of a sudden, all these kids are showing up and they're making fun of Eleven. They're, you know, the wish she was 
tried to use her powers. They're, they're doing that to her, calling her a freak. They're laughing at her. They're spinning around her. They're holding hands, doing like a ring around the rosy kind of, like, just, while she's stuck in the middle. They're just, there's just so many bullies. Sorry, I can't hear you, dude. I said turn it off. If you say so. Angela character is the most unlikable. Like I, I, I'll take Troy over her any day. Uh, she, you know, Mike goes to the DJ, turn it off, and he, even the DJ is a monster. He's like, sorry, dude. And finally, he does. The other kid shows up, throws the milkshake on her. So I want him to be. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say he's eaten by a demogorgon, but. I want Eleven to do something to him. Uh, and then and then, um, friggin' Angela shows up uh, and gets right in her face and goes, that's why you don't bring food or drink on the ring, dummy. Ha 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 And, oh my goodness gracious. Uh, I mean, what could Eleven do to, to finally get back at this mean, mean, uh, I'll just call her a bully. I'll use that B word for now. Try to keep it clean. As the, the music kind of fades away, we see Mike trying to get out to Eleven, trying to reach her, but she gets up and just starts skating off in tears while everybody is laughing at her. Not one kid there feels bad or, or sticks up for her. Uh, they're just a, a, a skating rink, a roller rink of monsters. We cut back to the buyer's house, the new buyer's house. I have to get used to still calling it the buyer's house. Uh, very nice house, by the way, that they, that they I'm assuming, um, helped set them up out here. Because didn't Owen say we, we moved you as far away as possible? Um, so they, 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 they did them right, at least, by giving them a nice house. We see that Murray's suitcase was actually filled with, I guess, what used to be considered a portable computer. This giant monstrosity of a thing. But it can spoof Joyce's phone, so it looks like she's calling from North Carolina. But, he says, the KGB could still probably figure out it's her, so you got to keep it brief, keep it under a minute max, and make sure to get proof of life. And then she dials the number on the letter at the same time that Murray hits record on his tape recorder. This is Enzo. Hello, Enzo. This is Joyce. I received your message, and I would like to make a reservation. Yes. Good, good. 
But for reservation, you need to make deposit. Uh, what what kind of deposit? Forty thousand dollars. You have it in Hopper's trust for the girl. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, forty thousand. Good. Bring to Yuri's fish and fly in no Alaska. Uh, you want me to go to Alaska? Yes. You give Yuri money, Yuri gets me money. I give him your friend. Simple trade. Understand? First, we're, we're gonna have to speak to Hopper. We need to know that he's alive. Hey! I'm afraid not possible. Why not? Your friend is uh, stuck. But you get me money, I make him unstuck. You must trust me. How do I trust you? I don't know who you are. Forty thousand. Yuri's fish and fly. Two days. Do not call again. Well, that wasn't the KGB. But it wasn't a friend either. So we're both wrong. Who the hell was that? Who the hell was that indeed? So he tells them, Your friend is stuck. I can get him unstuck. But instead, I thought they were going to I don't know why I thought they, they, they'd be flying to Russia. I mean, maybe I thought at some point they're in Russia and they had to get a plane. Because remember, we see in the trailer uh, Joyce and Murray in a plane. Apparently, it's a plane in Alaska. They have to find this man named Yuri at Yuri's Fish and Fly. They have to give him $40,000 that Hopper had in a trust for, for eleven. So there was this money that he either got in some sort of settlement or he, it was part of his will, whatever it was, it was left behind for Eleven to have uh, when she grew older. And they know it's there, so they got to get that to get Hopper out of prison. Now you'd say, go, some people might say, going into the child's trust, that is, that is not right. Well, you know what? This, this, whole, this whole group of people, this whole family deals with some very unorthodox situations. So allowing them to dip into this, uh, this fund so they can get their, their, their friend out of a Russian prison, I think is not an unreasonable ask for Joyce to do. One thing is for sure, though. This guy named Enzo, calling himself Enzo, he's not KGB, but he's not a friend of Hopper's either. Speaking of Hopper, we cut over to him getting dropped right on his face. The Russians, they're surprised to see that he's still alive after all that torture. Strong American, they say. Perhaps the motherland could use that strength. Send him to Kamchatka. I think I said that right. We see him getting dragged to the back of some sort of truck, thrown in. And there's one guy, I think he's the doctor. He is surprised by the soldier's compassion. But the soldier said, uh, You must not know Kamchatka. This man does not deserve the peace of death. So I'm sending him to hell. I'm thinking they know that Kamchatka is where the Demogorgons are, right? That's what I'm thinking. Like, they know this is where this... Or maybe they don't know the specifics, but they know some sort of testing and some sort of experiments 
are going on in Kamchatka. We cut back to a field. We see helicopters landing in this open field. Uh, looks like we're back in America. It seems to be some sort of high-ranking military official. He steps out, and he's greeted with a, Lieutenant Colonel, welcome to Indiana. So they're in Hawkins, and it looks like they sent some big wigs out there uh, after the, the discovery of Chrissy Cunningham. And as we uh, see the, this, this military guy examining the body, being shown the body, we're also cutting back and forth between that and the basketball team over at Benny's who are starting to focus on Eddie. Eddie Munson, he's a part of that freak devil cult hellfire. The cops, they say Chrissy went to him to buy drugs. Drugs? No. That's what I said. Chrissy would never touch this shit. And they wouldn't even show her parents her face. Look, I don't know what this freak did to Chrissy, but he did something sick. Probably sacrificed her. Drained her blood for the devil. I guess Satanists do that shit. That's what I'm saying. It's this cult he's in. Hellfire isn't a cult. It's it's just a D&D club. D&D? Dungeons and Dragons? It's like a, it's like a game. It, it's fantasy. And how exactly is it, you know, all of that, Sinclair? Uh, well, it's my sister. Yeah, she's like, she's like a total nerd, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, like, she plays a lot sometimes. And I'm sure your and sister isn't killing people, right? Well, shit, I've read the wrong person plays this game. It can, it can warp their mind. They confuse fantasy and reality, and innocent people die. I mean, it's been happening all over the country. It's like, it's like an epidemic. Yeah, I've read about that shit. It's real. And I think Eddie, he's the wrong type of person, right? You know, he got lost. He thought Chrissy was just a part of his, his sick game. And chances are, he's still in the game. Meaning... He's gonna kill again. But not if we can help it. Would Chrissy want us to just stand by while the cops go around pursuing some, some bullshit leads? Spreading rumors saying she's some, some druggie? No! No, she wants us to go out there. She wants to do something about it, wouldn't she? Yeah! Then let's go on some free... Yeah! For Chrissy! Yeah! Let's go! a classic talking head song very ominous uh so we have the basketball team kind of getting all charged up about uh eddie munson and his his devilish cult the hellfire club uh lucas tries to interject for a moment he's like well they're not a, a cult they're just a D club dungeons and dragons like none of the athletes knew what he was talking about uh, and he he blames his sister. He's like, my sister, she's like this total nerd. She plays a lot. He didn't want to admit uh, he's part of the Hellfire Club. 
And he's like, yeah, but your sister isn't killing anybody. And they start talking about the wrong person uh, plays it and they're still in the game. They could hurt someone. It's happening all over the country. It's like an epidemic. And someone's like, yeah, I read about that. You confuse reality with fantasy. Innocent people die. And they think hellfire. They think that Eddie's still in the game. There's absolutely, like, if you go to YouTube and type in Dungeons & Dragons 60 Minutes, you'll see the clip from 1985. Remember the the kid in the first episode said, I trust what 60 Minutes tells me. Uh, That's precisely talking about that actual uh, report. So they're all, like, hopped up, and they... They're like, they're going to hunt the freak. So you feel like you're going to have these guys on one side going after Eddie. uh, And you're going to have Lucas with them. And then on the other side, you have the the family video crew who are looking for Eddie. So they're calling all of Eddie's known friends, uh, just trying all these different people. Meanwhile, Steve, he tried to use Robin's love of Dr. Zhivago to flirt with a girl who had a boyfriend. Uh, But more importantly, more important than that, Max thinks she may have had a lead. Eddie's drug supplier is this guy they call Reefer Rick. I mean, with a name like that, you probably have to deal drugs. There's no known last name, no address. He's almost more of a legend. Steve suggests maybe we should uh, check with the cops. I mean, he's probably been busted a few times. The cops would know. Dustin's like, the cops? Really, Steve? That is your suggestion? He just thinks maybe the cops need to be filled in. Dustin accuses him of thinking that Eddie isn't innocent. But Steve says he believes in innocence until proven guilty, all that um, constitutional crap. But he doesn't think they can rule it out. But that is precisely what they are trying to do. Steve's like, sorry, I I need to be attending to these customers. Somebody has to. And Robin says, yeah, especially if they're babes. He's like, hey, I attend to all customers, okay? We really have a wide variety here, a wide selection. It can be overwhelming. Robin said, yes. Yes, it can be. What are you doing? Maybe we don't need a last name. Twelve Ricks already have accounts here. That's a lot of Ricks. So let's narrow it down. Rick Alderman's latest rentals are Annie and Dumbo. What are the chances our drug dealer has a family? Not likely. All right. Rick Conroy, 16 Candles, Teen Wolf, and Romancing the Stone. No. Okay. Rick Joyner, uh, Mask, Footloose, and Grease. No. Rick Kimbrough, The Blue Lagoon, and Splash. (laughs) (laughs) Rick Lipton, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Cheech and Chong's Next Movie, Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams, Cheech and Chong's (laughs) Up in Smoke. Bingo. Lipton? Spelled like a T, 2121 Holland Road. That's out by Lover's Lake. Middle of nowhere. It's a perfect place to hide. So using the power of uh, deduction, is that what it is? The power of, well, anyway, narrowing down all the Ricks in the computer uh, and hoping that one of these Ricks is uh, the actual Rick that they're looking for. They found someone who looked pretty good on paper, uh, rents a lot of Cheech and Chong movies, a lot of uh, movies about drugs. Uh, So it sounded like this guy lived in the middle of nowhere and they wasted no time. They immediately closed the video store. Five seconds earlier, Robin's like, uh, you know, before they started making the phone calls, it's the busiest day of the year, of the week. You know, you can do this on a Monday, but not on a Saturday. And they worried about all the customers in there. 
they went immediately from that to closing down the video store and heading off to um, Rick Lipton's house, Reefer Rick. Now, I wonder if this is going to come back to bite them later. It would be funny if at the end of this season, uh, they lose their job again and need to find a job someplace else. Obviously, last time they lost it at Scoops because, well, the mall, uh, well, it had a giant explosion. But um, I wonder if something uh, will come of their closing of the video store early. So we jump over to the trailer park where Nancy and Fred, they're going from trailer to trailer, trying to ask questions to anybody, trying to get any information. Nobody seems to want to cooperate. I think Fred is pretty much ready to give up and leave. Nancy just goes over to see Max's dog, calls her the the cutest little witness. But then she looks up and notices someone and tells Fred to stay here as she walks off. Hi. Uh, I'm a friend of Max Mayfield's over there. You're Wayne Munson, aren't you? Eddie's uncle? That's right. I heard you found the body. The neighbors... Like to gossip. And I'm not interested in gossiping no more. Certainly not to a reporter. What gave me away? Look, um, let me level with you, Mr. Munson. The paper that I write for is small. We don't have the staff to keep up with the big guys. And I'm just looking for something, anything really, about what happened last night. Why? As far as I can tell, you all have it figured out already. My nephew's a freak. He killed that girl. And not about right. Let me guess. You've been speaking to the Hawkins Post. Chuck Bailey. I used to work with him. I mean, that guy doesn't know his ass from his elbow. Let me tell your side of the story. My nephew, he may look dangerous but he didn't do this it just ain't in his nature no matter what anyone says and they will say things believe you me but this wasn't Eddie the man who did this killed that poor girl. He's pure evil. Man? You think you know who might have done this? You ever hear the name Victor Creel? We now hear that clock and Fred, oh God, he looks into the woods. I guess you're too young. Back when I was a kid, everybody knew the name Victor Creel. He lost his mind, killed his whole family, kids and wife, 
took their eyes. Cut them right out. In the woods, Fred sees the clock. It's embedded in a coffin. That poor girl I found this morning, same exact thing. So I'm thinking, maybe he broke out. Victor Creel is still alive? They locked him away in Penhurst Asylum. Yeah, as far as I know, he's still there. That is, unless he broke out. Like that, what's his name? The white mask. Killed the babysitters. Michael Myers? Yeah. Michael Myers. He asked me, Victor's like that. He's a real boogeyman. So we have our first bit of, like, lore of this Creel. We finally get the name Victor Creel, what he did, killed his whole family in that house, and how there's it was kind of a big deal and a well-known name in Hawkins, how he is supposedly still alive in a penitentiary. So Nancy's learning all this, and at the same time she notices that she can't see Fred. He's not there. So she excuses herself from Mr. Munson and starts looking around, looking for Fred. The dog's barking. She's calling for Fred. She can't find him because he's still in the woods. And the tolling of the clock gets louder and louder. And we see behind Fred a group of people all dressed in black like they're at a funeral. He turns and they all have demonic faces. This girl lifts her head, points her hand, and her hand elongates into that of the creature. Murderer! 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 Okay, I'm scared. Is anyone else scared? Uh, like, this is becoming out and out horror, and I'm like, I want to hide behind a blanket. All these demonic faces yelling, murderer, murderer, over and over, and if I was Fred, I'd do the same thing. I He took off and ran, and I would too. We cut over to Soviet Russia, and oh, well, that's nice. They're, they're giving Jim a haircut. They let him go to the barber. Oh, actually, no, it looks like he's getting his head shaved in prison. Ooh, and we see his bare feet uh, all bloodied. We hear the voice of the Soviet guard, um, and we see subtitles. You are no longer men. You are cogs in a machine. At this point, he's getting hosed down. I guess that's his shower. You are cogs in a machine, a machine in service of the great motherland. If you are foolish enough to attempt escape, now, while the voiceover is saying this, he's lined up with all these other new prisoners in a jacket and a hat, and he's in front of this barbed wire fence. You will be hunted down. You will be captured. And then you will suffer greatly as you perform your final act for the motherland. Now that, I think, is that being fed to the monsters? Remember, we saw that at the end of Stranger Things 3. Your final 
your final act for the motherland, you will suffer greatly. There will be no second chances. Run. You die. You hear, America? It's as simple as that. You run, you die. And Hopper just gives this very subtle nod, like, I get it. No arguments. I understand. It just kills me, seeing that nod, seeing that look in his eye. We leave snowy Russia and go back to sunny California. Murray and Joyce are listening to the tape over and over. And Murray's like, whoever Enzo is, the answer is not on that tape. But Joyce is focusing on the woman who yelled at Enzo while he was on the phone in the background. Maybe she was saying something that is a clue. Murray can barely hear it. So they go and pop it into Jonathan's stereo and crank it up. Uh, Murray puts headphones on. He's trying to focus on what is being said. Uh, But at the same time we're seeing that, we're seeing Jim being led into his small cell while being looked on with this disdain from all the other prisoners, one of which we did hear speak English, I think. Murray hears the woman call Jim this specific word. And she's like, what does it mean? Joyce was wondering what it means. He says, it's like, a, it's like an insult. It's like calling someone a pig. It's a word that you would use for, like a derogatory slang for, for cops or guards. And as he says that, we see Hopper being thrown in the cell. And we see the guard behind him closing the door. And it's Enzo. No time at all is wasted. Joyce is like, let's go. We're going. Where where are we going, Joyce? We're going to the bank. We're going to get that money. We're going to get to Enzo. And we're getting Hopper back. She is is determined. And nothing and nobody is going to stop her. And Murray says, okay. And they head off. We cut back to the roller rink. And Mike is looking for 11 with Will. Dude, don't go in the girl's bathroom. What the hell? Get out. Uh, She's not in there. And now Mike is obviously upset. And he's starting to take it out on Will. They finally talk it out for a bit. Not there? No. You should have told me she was having trouble. Well, I didn't know they were going to be here, Mike. Yeah, but you knew that she was having trouble for like a year. You didn't tell me. I didn't know she was lying to you. Which is why you decided to be a douche to her all day? I wasn't being a douche. You were. You were. You were rolling your eyes. You were You were moping. You were barely talking. You basically sabotaged the whole well, thing. Well, she was lying to you, Mike. Straight to your face ever since you got here. And, and I've been a total third wheel all day. It's been miserable. So sorry if I wasn't, wasn't smiling. Yeah, whatever, man. Well, what about us? What? Were you mad that I didn't talk to you? It seems like you made it super clear that you're not interested in anything I have to say. That's just not true. You've called maybe a couple times. It's been a year, Mike. Meanwhile, Elle has like a book of letters from you. That's because she's my girlfriend, Will. And us? We're friends. We're friends. Well, we used to be best friends. Well, then maybe you should have reached out more. I, I don't know. But why is this on me? Why am I the bad guy? Let's just just find her, okay? A 
I still can't get over how deep Will's voice is now. Uh, so they have a moment where Will, you know, lets them know, hey, what about us? You know, we haven't connected. It's been almost a, almost a year. But Mike says, why is this only on me? And I can't completely disagree with him on that. You know, he does have a little bit of a point. Um, but you could see Will is just upset that, you know, he doesn't have his friend the way he used to. And, um, and Mike was like, you've been, a, you've been a douche all day, which that was a little unfair. Uh, you know, he says, I've been the third wheel all day. It's been miserable. I've been that third wheel. I understand Will, and I am on your side there. So there's, they keep looking for L, and L is actually hiding in uh, the employees only area. She's crying. She's, she's upset. She can hear the bullies laughing outside. She gets up. She sees them looking through the footage of the video camera. They look through the eyepiece. That's how you looked back and watched videos on the go back in the 80s. And she's, she's starting to get upset. She comes out to confront Angela and told her that, you know, she ruined her day. She wants her to apologize. She wants her to tell her boyfriend that it was just a joke and that we are really friends. I feel bad for Eleven here because it feels like there's a certain level of naivete. Like, how can she expect someone, especially someone so rotten as Angela, to do what she asked? No, in fact, uh, Angela does exactly what we would expect her to do and exactly the opposite of what Eleven was hoping for. She says, oh, or, or what? You're going to hurt me with your mean stare again? They all laugh at her. She's like, you can't go crying to teach her. You have to just go cry to your daddy. Oh, wait, you can't do that, too. And she walks off and Jesus Christ, this girl is the devil. It's at this moment that Eleven's face changes. You see pure anger in Eleven's face. She starts walking towards Angela, grabs a skate from a guy, comes up behind her. Angela! gentlemen violence is never the answer and I don't like seeing a kid hurt like that but I do have to say in the context of this show did I feel bad no I did not you know actually yes I felt bad for 11 she snapped she smashed this girl right in the face I mean, she was bleeding. There's going to be stitches maybe there, like a crack right at the 
like between her eyes. Uh, this girl's wailing and crying. Her friends are like, what, what? Oh my God, what do we do? What do we do? Will comes up and says, Oh my God. And Mike's like, Holy shit, what did you do? And that flashes 11 back to Brenner. What have you done? What have you done? And I think what they are kind of leading to is that there is this anger streak that could be provoked in 11. I mean, remember in the schoolyard, she tried to do something uh, that, you know, we're seeing this, this anger. Well, we've seen it before when she's had to deal with monsters, but now, I mean, this girl isn't quite a monster. She's pretty close. She's not a dangerous monster. She's just a, a horrible monster. Um, but you could see even that upset 11, like she was upset that she did it. All these people are now staring at her and she's not proud of what she did. You could see the tears in her face as, uh, as we fade away from the roller rink and uh, from our California crew. I don't think we see them for the rest of our episode. We cut over to Steve, Robin, Max, and Dustin as they pull up to the Lipton residence. They're looking for Reefer Rick, remember? Dustin rings the doorbell over and over, yelling, knocking, yelling, Eddie, Eddie, we just want to talk. No cops. We just want to help. And then someone's yelling, Rick, Reefer Rick. That might have been Dustin, too. They're like, don't yell that. Don't say that. So while they're trying to bang on the door, Max looks around a little bit and sees this like garage workshop area in the back with a light on. They all notice it now and they go over to it and they slowly, slowly go in. They open the door. Robin first, by the way. She's the brave one. Robin first, then Max, then Steve, then Dustin. And they're like, hello, is anybody home? They don't see anybody. So they start searching around, searching for clues. Steve takes an oar and just starts poking around at this tarp, which I don't know, was the tarp in a boat, I think, maybe? It was in something. And Dustin's like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know, I'm poking around. He goes, you really think he'd be under there? Which to me meant, oh, he's under there. Max finds some beer and some food wrappers, and they're like, someone was here. Maybe he heard us and he got spooked. Dustin sarcastically says, oh, don't worry, maybe Steve will get him with his oar. Boom, right at that moment, he does. Eddie pops out of nowhere right under the tarp with a broken bottle and he holds it up to Steve's neck. And Eddie, Eddie, no, it's Dustin. It's me, Dustin. This is Steve. He's a friend. He's not going to hurt you. Steve, drop the oar. Steve is like, yeah, yeah, drop the oar. He's cool. He's cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Eddie, holding on to Steve, asks them, you know, what are you doing here? And Dustin says, we're here to help. You know, Robin from band and Robin pretends like play an instrument, which is kind of funny. This is my friend, Max, the one who never wants to play D and D. I thought he'd say, and I'm also your next door neighbor. I thought maybe she would say that Eddie, we're on your side. I swear on my mother. And it's funny because they all start swearing on Dustin's mother that they're there to help. Finally, Eddie loosens his grip on Steve and lets him go. Eddie, we just want to talk. We want to know what happened. He says, you won't believe me. Max says, try us. We cut back to the trailer park and Nancy still can't find Fred. 
She asks some people hanging out like at a jungle gym. No, haven't seen him. Uh, she's a kind of a nerdy guy with a scar on his face. So she goes up to Officer Daniels and he's like, what are you still doing here? And she said, you know, I, I can't find my friend. He, he, I, I can't I haven't seen him. And um, he's angry because he told them to go home. But he gets on the walkie and he says on the radio, you know, this is uh, we may have a situation down here. We then cut over and see Fred as he ran through the woods and he's now out into this looks like a busy or would be a busy road and he's staring at a burning car this must be the car accident that he was in and where he got the scar he just looks on in so much fear at what he's looking at and you have to think none of that is actually there it's just all in his head we cut back to Reefer Rick's place where Eddie explains to them what he saw. Her body just like lifted up into the air. Yeah. And she just like hung there in the air. And her bones, just, her bones started to snap. Her eyes, man, it was like there was something like inside her head pulling. I, I didn't know what to do, so I, I, I ran away. I left her there. You all think I'm crazy, right? No. We don't think you're crazy no, at don't all. Don't bullshit me, man. I know how this sounds. We're not bullshitting you. We believe you. I got to tell you, uh, next to our friends, our groups getting reconnected, one of my favorite things, and it's not just in Stranger Things, it's one of my favorite things in shows and in movies is when... Someone finds out the secret. Someone is brought in. Someone is smartened up. Um, I think of the TV show Chuck, the episode where his best friend Morgan found out the secret of Chuck. I think about uh, Smallville or Superman and Lois when people find out the truth and they're brought in to the fold. I love that. And that's pretty much what happens here with Eddie. It's like at this point going forward, Eddie's in. You know, with Robin, it kind of happened fast. Like it was all the Russian stuff. She, I don't think she knew about the gate until she saw the gate. Uh, but she was already in at that point. The same with Erica. Um, Max is when they were at the junkyard. That's when I think she first was like, oh, okay. But um, it, it seems like this is the moment where Eddie finds out. Uh, I played this clip to open up the episode just because I loved it so much. When, when Dustin says, um, you know, when people talk about Hawkins being cursed, they're not really that wrong. There's another world out there. Um, there is a world like beneath Hawkins, beneath our world. And sometimes it bleeds over. And I think this is when Eddie says, like, you mean like ghosts? And I think it's Max that says, 
there are some things worse than ghosts. We see Fred watching the crash, seeing a boy pull himself out of the fire, pleading for help. Then Fred falls over, and it seems like he's in a grave. There's, uh, looks like a corpse next to him, but it has tunnels. So he tries to run, but then he sees the monster walking straight for him. These monsters from this other world, we thought they were gone, but they've come back before, and that's why we needed to find you. If they're back again, we need to know. The monster closes right in on Fred. That night, did you see anything? Dark particles, maybe? Now the monster is getting closer. It would almost look like dust. Swirling dust. No, man, there was nothing you could see or, uh, or touch. I believe at this point his hand is over Fred's. And we see Fred is still in the street. And he starts to levitate. He starts to rise just like Chrissy did. You know, I try to wake her, man. She couldn't move. It was like she, she was in a trance or something. Or under a spell. A curse. Feckless curse. It's at this point that Fred breaks. His bones crack, his jaw cracks, and his eyes get pulled into his head. He falls into just a mess in the street, dead. Who's Vecna? An undead creature of great power. A spellcaster. A dark wizard. It's at this point we see the monster that we are now going to start calling Vecna. In the same pose that we saw him in the trailer with all the arms, the tendrils coming out of him. They separate and he kneels and it seems like he's in a house. And we see the particles there so we think we're in the upside down. And then we pull away and we pull outside to see we are at a house. We are in the Upside Down and swirling, swirling around this house. Hundreds, if not thousands of flying creatures. Oh my God. And then the episode ends. Wow, wowie, wow, wow. Vecna's curse. Um... Dustin loves giving these creatures names. I think, am I correct that he named it the Demogorgon and the Mind Flayer? Maybe, maybe, or was it Mike? I don't remember, but I know the kids at least love using their experience with Dungeons and Dragons 
um, to kind of help them figure out these monsters. They're not exactly the same, but it gives them kind of a blueprint to go after with, um, with the mind flayer and the, the, the hive mind. And if this is a dark wizard of some kind, it kind of gives them some sort of um, area to fight it with magic. Uh, it definitely is going to lead. I feel like this is going to connect to Nancy and it's going to connect to uh, Victor Creel and looking at the house. And that's how they're going to get to the house. Still, things are making me nervous. We've seen two people float and two of them are now dead, both of which I thought would be characters we'd see more in this season. And I know in the trailer we see Max float, so I'm, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure it'll be okay, but you just never can tell. Yes, I'm still spoiler-free um, going forward. I don't know what episode three is going to be at all, uh, but I think that's going to be the last one. I think this is going to be the last one, I should say. Going forward, I've got to watch a couple episodes. I just have to. I have to. Um, what else? So much happened in this episode. Uh, the The basketball team is now on a hunt, on a, on a witch hunt, basically, for, for Eddie, because they think, first of all, that the, um, the club, the Hellfire Club, is, is a, like a cult. Luckily, Lucas knows the truth, but he's not going to get through to them. He's going to probably at one point have to decide, have to choose, and he better choose correctly. And Eddie's in now. Eddie is one of the chosen. He's one of the ordained. He is, he is now part of the, um, the collective of these kids who know what's really going on. Maybe they will be rebranded. Maybe the entire Hellfire Club will come in. I don't know. That would be pretty badass. I mean, there's so much going on. It's okay if a lot of people know about it. It's okay if the world knows about it at some point. I feel like at some point, it's going to be hard to keep a secret. I don't know. We'll see. Um, that's really it for Hawkins. You know, we had the, the, the naming of Victor Creel and that he's a, he is a murderer. Now, could Vecna be a Victor Creel demon or something like that? There's definitely some sort of connection. I look forward to figuring out and finding out what that is. Um, I feel like everything else major took place in California. I mean, they tracked down Eddie using Reefer Rick, using the, it was a cool way they did it, using the, the uh, video store computer. They got to Eddie and they, um, uh, we, we, I, we've covered all that. So then we go to California and Joyce and Murray called, figured out to call the number. They figured out that um, Enzo is actually a guard thanks to that woman yelling in the background and they now need to take $40,000 to Yuri's uh, Fly and Fish, is it? Fish and Fly? Fly and Fish? Well, you know, they gotta go to Yuri in Alaska and give him the money so that he can get the money to Enzo so they can get Hopper out of being stuck in Kamchata. Kamchata or Kamchatka? Kamchatka! Isn't that like a fermented drink? I don't know. Um, but 
jo- like Murray's nervous, nervous about the KGB. Joyce doesn't give a uh, rat's ass. She's going straight for it. And uh, what about her kids? Well, Jonathan, it was more just a real life issue, like a not not monsters. It was kind of boring, not not boring, but regular life, I should say, un uh, unmonsterfied. He's just he doesn't feel like he should be leaving his mom and Will. He doesn't feel like he should tell Nancy because Nancy will then come to California and throw away her dream, but he doesn't want to go all the way over to Boston to live her dream, basically a dream that he says is not even his, Uh, which is crazy because he was always the photographer, so I think it is his dream. I think he's just trying to talk himself out of it. And Argyle's like, what are you going to slow motion break up with her, man? And then, of course, we have uh, the roller rink crew. Um... Eleven makes everything sound like everything's hunky-dory. Mike falls for it, but Will tells him the truth after we see uh, Eleven get bullied by Angela, Angela's friends, and the entire effing roller rink, including the DJ, including the employee. That boy should be fired, boy. That was a grown man. Fire that guy's ass. Um, but... I don't know if she got the last laugh, but, Angela, but, but uh, Eleven... Definitely got the last um, skating, I guess you could say, right in Angela's face. And yes, violence, I say, is never the answer. And I don't like seeing a kid hurt like that. But if a kid's going to cry, um, let it be that kid. Okay? I'm good with that. I am okay with that. And I think that's it. You know, Lucas just kind of hung out with his, with his friends. Uh, and he's worried about um, the Dungeons & Dragons Club to the point where he... Only to a certain point. He doesn't uh, say he's in the club. He just says, oh, my sister, she's a real nerd. So there's that. Um, But I think that's it. I think the big thing is we know where Hopper is. And Joyce has an idea. And Murray has an idea of where Hopper is, how to get him out. We know that um, now Eddie knows there's something going on. And the gang, the, the, the video store gang, now knows that something is happening again. In Hawkins, everyone in California doesn't know, um, and the 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 Russian crew and the um, Joyce and Murray they don't know. Everyone has their own distinct thing they're worrying about right now. But the major issue is there's a monster man, and he's breaking uh, teenagers in sucking their eyeballs out of their heads. So I think that should be addressed. I mean, yes, I want Hopper back too, but you got to get that monster man. Got to get that Vecna. Oh, and speaking of Vecna, uh, are we done with Fred? You know, we saw him kind of um, land like a banana peel in the middle of the road. But is this the end of Fred? Because Vecna, he says, what do you want? And he said, join me. He didn't say that to Chrissy, did he? It's not one of these things where he's taking souls. Is he going to reconstruct Fred and use him kind of as his human delegate, almost like Billy was used last year, last year, three, last season, what was that, 15 years ago? Um, so I wonder if that is going to be, if that could come in, or if Fred just joined him in the afterlife, and that's just the end of it. I will be interested to see there, and 
it seems pretty, I think I said this already, that Vecna seems to um, feast on pain and despair. And we know Max is having issues. And we know she floats. And we know it's at the grave. So I'm just painting myself concerned. I'm just telling you I'm concerned. I hope for the best. But I'm not lying when, when, it, when it makes me nervous seeing two floaters, you know, not fare so well. All right. Now I think we did it. Ha <laughs> ha, wow. Wowie, wow, wow, wow. Another long one, but you know what? The, the longer the episode of Stranger Things, the more Stranger Things we get. That's the way I see it. Let them be three hours each. I don't care. I want more. I never want it to end. But this episode itself of Stranger Danger has now come to an end. It's June 1st. Um, and I just want to tell you, over at fansnotexperts.com, I'm starting my ninth annual movie month. It's very different from this type of show. I watch a movie that I've never seen before. I podcast about it. And um, and I put myself on the poster for the art of the episode. It's 30 movies, 30 podcasts, 30 days. Um, it starts today. That episode is going to be up available at fansnotexperts.com soon. You can go to Geek Mentality. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Geek Mentality, and you can see more about it there. And I post every photo that I do as well. Uh, and I've been doing that, again, for nine years, seven of which are podcasts. The first two were blogs, though I'm thinking of turning them into podcasts someday. Um, other than that, you can find the show on Twitter at StrangerDPod. Thank you, Jet, for having me fix that on um, my, my Geek Mentality account. I had the wrong... Stranger Danger Twitter account. Smart move, Mike. Uh, and of course, we have, I said, fansnotexperts.com and fansnotexperts on Facebook. That is it, my friends. I am out of here. I've seen more voicemail come in. Thank you so much. Thumbs up. We're going to do a voicemail episode a long ways from now. Uh, and other than that, I just thank you, thank you, thank you so much for. Um, listening to this episode and finding it, listening to the last episode and finding it. Uh, the response has been more than anything I've ever done before. And I am just wholly grateful to you, the stranger friends. So until next time, remember to stay stranger, my friend, and beware Vecna. Maybe don't open your eyes near him because it doesn't end well. Fans not experts. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.